in verse 15. Did I turn me on yet? Yes, I did. Okay. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his, at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's an incredible phrase. And then we go over to 1 Peter, second chapter. And we start with verse 4. Peter writes this. He says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame." So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, everybody knows that Karen, well, at least I think just about everybody knows, that Karen, you know, likes to do hospitality. Uh, she likes to host people in our home. Uh, very frequently, we have people traveling through the United Kingdom, through London, uh, that we just invite to come and stay. And, and sometimes people stay for uh, just a, a day or so. Sometimes people might stay for a week or more. Um, we have often discovered that what they say, you know, about guests and fish, you know, they both tend to spoil after three days. I mean, that, that, that can be kind of true sometimes. Not all the time. But it's striking to me the different kinds of attitudes that we encounter. And, uh, and it's not just from one culture. I could pick on Americans, but I'm not going to pick on Americans in this case. Uh, it's, it's, it's not just from one culture. But there are some time when we have guests 
that they immediately feel like they're part of the family. Like many of you know, Io's been hanging out with us for a few months and uh, uh, giving her a taste of life on the outside. Uh, and, you know, immediately, though, she came in, and she's like a member of the family, you know, so it's kind of cheating a little bit, I guess, when that happens, you know, so some people are like that. They're immediately like a member of the family. They contribute to the life of the household and things like that, and then there are other people who come in, and it's almost like they think that we're their bed and breakfast, you know, it's like, well, I like my eggs over easy at about 8, 17 a.m., uh, and my toast, you know, buttered on both sides, please, uh, with just the right kind of jam. Uh, and if, you know, if the, if the eggs aren't ready by 8, 17 a.m., then they'll be spoiled and I'll mess up my, my entire day. And you can imagine how we feel when we get that kind of house guest. I mean, we're nice and we're polite. Uh, we don't tend to throw them out of the top floor window, even though we think about it sometimes. Uh, but actually, you start to feel a bit used, right? Have any, any of you ever been in that situation where, you know, people just, it feels like they're starting to take advantage of you. They're, they're starting to take advantage of your hospitality. They're, they're starting to, to treat you like your home is for them and for, for their benefit, for their enjoyment, for their pleasure, and you're kind of at their disposal, and when that happens, you can imagine a little bit about how I start to feel uh, over time and how Karen kind of feels a little bit. Uh, and, you know, it's a difficult situation. But thankfully, those kind of people are actually few and far between. But they do happen. They do come around. And it is a challenge. But thinking about that recently got me thinking about the church. Now, the church is the bride of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And I mentioned a few weeks ago when I was preaching on the church in context of our union with Christ, how if we start to criticize the church and cut down the church, that Jesus tends to react strongly to that, even if it's right. And then I began to wonder, how does Jesus feel when people who are in the church start to treat the bride of Christ like people treat my bride when they start to make demands, when they start to have the attitude almost that our house exists for their benefit instead of us coming together as a family. And I began to realize that there are actually quite a few people in the world today, and I'm finding that this is very, very cross-cultural. It's not just an American thing or a Western thing uh, or a UK thing, but it's very, very cross-cultural. There is this attitude almost that the church exists for my benefit. The church exists for my benefit. The church exists to meet my needs. The church exists to, to take care of me. The church exists to, to uh, help me up and to help me to walk and to help me stand and so on and so on and so on. And that attitude toward the church becomes a very self-centered attitude. And you see it all around. I've seen, for years, I've seen people come in and say, well, you know, the, the last church I went to, it really didn't meet my needs. You know, I wasn't getting fed. I didn't have the kind of relationship with the pastor that I wanted. Uh, or I couldn't find the kind of friends I wanted. So I just decided to, to move on. Now, there are times when we need to move churches. But think about that kind of criticism. It's all focused on the person. Now, in contrast, 
uh, we have some friends that just moved church a couple years ago uh, in the States, and they said, well, the church was kind of inward focused and wasn't really engaged in mission, and so we wanted to find a church that was more engaged in mission so that we could contribute to that mission. And you see the distinction there. And it's a very, very strong distinction uh, that we have to get right in our own minds. Because it's very dangerous if we start to have the mindset toward the church that the church exists to meet my needs, to do my thing, rather than understanding the church from a biblical perspective and understanding how significant and important the church actually is. And by church, I mean all of us, not the organization. Organizations come and go, and the organization that we call church, you know, like City Temple or like any, any one organized church, even organized denomination, the organizations exist only to help the body of Christ do its ministry. And when an organization stops functioning in the way that it was designed to function, that means that we need to abandon the organization. It's a bit like my clothes, you know? Uh, if my clothes don't fit, I need to abandon my clothes and get put on more clothes, by the way, not just walk around naked. I need clothes. Does that make sense? Is this all kind of tracking a bit? And you can ask how we got here, and there's a number of reasons. I mean, in the Reformation, one of the things that the Reformation did was taught people to read the Bible and to study the Bible and told people that they can have their own relationship with God, and that's absolutely true, but an unintended consequence of that has been denominations and things like that that have come down and people questioning the authority of the people of God, of the body of Christ, and there's a number of other things. You could talk about consumerism, you could talk about individualism and an individual approach to our salvation and, and on and on and on. And those things are not really important in the context of this. But what is important is that I believe that the church at large, that is the body of Christ or the bride of Christ around most of the world today has a very weak understanding of what the Bible says about the church. And we don't embrace the scriptures, we don't know the scriptures, uh, and, and we don't accept the scriptures and what they say, but we, we've started to accept a lot of myths and misunderstandings about what the church is and what the church is called to be and what the church is called to do. And this weak ecclesiology, and ecclesiology is a big word, it just means theology of the church. This weak ecclesiology is something that I am encountering around the world. I was surprised when I was last week in Freedom in Christ there in Malaysia, and I was talking to a lot of people from around the world, and I was surprised at how weak the Christian's understanding of the church actually is. And so we need to recapture a biblical understanding of the church and how, what God is doing and how we are called to engage in it. Otherwise, the church will never be fully what it's called to be. I think this is one of the reasons why churches, particularly in the West, have gotten so weak and have actually started to lose people and are not making disciples. They're winning a lot of uh, uh, audiences. They're, they're entertaining a lot of people, but they're not really making disciples. And part of the reason for this is that we do not understand what the church actually is and what we're called to be and do. 
Now, we began to look at that a few weeks ago in the context of union with Christ. And what we said is that we are in union with Christ as, as saved Christians. Christ is in us, and we are in Christ, according to the Bible, according to Jesus himself. And that's the essence of our salvation, but that means collectively we're also in Christ. So when I'm in union with Christ, I'm also in union with every other Christian. There is a spiritual union that we have because of our union with Jesus Christ. And that means that we are one because Jesus is one. We don't work for unity, by the way. We have unity as a gift that we're called to maintain in the bond of peace. We are one in Christ Jesus, so we are called the bride of Christ. Collectively, Jesus has taken us to himself, cleaned us up, and sanctified us, and is getting us ready for one day for a full union with Jesus. And collectively, we saw that we are the body of Christ, that we are the representation of Jesus Christ in the world, that Jesus, when he touches people, when he heals people, he does so through his body, which is us, and not us individually, us collectively. You all, Paul says in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So individually we're part of it, but we're all the body of Christ together. So we are the bride of Christ, and we are the body of Christ, and there's actually another metaphor that is very, very powerful for understanding the church, and that is that we are the building of God. We are the bride, we are the body, and we are the building. We are the house of God the household of God. And that is what Peter was talking to us about today. So we need to understand all three of these metaphors and how all three of these metaphors refer to us together as the church, us together as the people of God to begin to understand what God has called us to be and do in the world. So to look at this, we need to affirm that the church is the spiritual house with Jesus as the cornerstone that God is building. We are the spiritual house that God is building with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. Now first, we might explore a little bit, why is God building the church? Why God is building the church? What is God doing here? Well, God is building the church, according to Peter, first of all, to have a spiritual house for holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices through Jesus for the sake of the world. We are, God is building us into a spiritual house, like a temple, like a city temple. He's building us into a spiritual house for holy priesthood. We are the priesthood. Jesus has made us a kingdom and priests unto our God. Now what does this mean? It means as priests we can go directly to God. We approach God, but also as priests, our calling is to represent God to the world. So we have this twofold dynamic where we go to God and we go to God on behalf of the world. We go to God for the sake of the world. 
Just as the priests in the Old Testament, they went to God for the sake of the people, now we, as the building of God, as the spiritual household, we go to God not just for our own sake, not just to meet our own needs, but we go to God for the sake of the world, and then we represent, we represent God to the world. And there's this twofold dynamic, and the spiritual sacrifices we offer these are not obviously sacrifices of animals or things. The spiritual sacrifices we offer are things like worship. When we come together to worship the Lord, what we're doing today is a spiritual sacrifice. The prayers that we offer, when you give your money, that's, a, that's an act of worship that's a spiritual sacrifice that we bring unto God. When we gather together, when we eat together, do you know there's a reality that just coming together to eat together for fellowship, oh, and by the way, you wanna hear something really cool? I just learned this this week. The winner of the American Spelling Bee this year, every year there's a national contest. It's really a, really a big deal in the United States uh, where you spell. The winner won by spelling the word koinonia. How cool is that? Greek word for fellowship. You know, so when we come together for fellowship, do you know that that's a spiritual sacrifice that you're offering to God? You're doing that. This is all spiritual sacrifices. And not only is it that, it's when we, when we, as we live in the world, as we do good works, as we seek justice, as we engage with people in the marketplace, when you're serving others in the marketplace, when you're doing good works to build up others, those two are spiritual sacrifices. So God is building this house so that you'll have a house for a holy priesthood that will offer spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ, because it's all through Jesus and it's all about Jesus, for the sake of the world. The second thing that Peter tells us is that God is building the church to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's one of my favorite verses in scriptures. I mean, we live to proclaim the excellencies of God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. When we're talking to people, I mean, what we saw during the children's time, we saw somebody doing exactly that. That's what she was doing. She was proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And God is building us as a building. He's putting us together as a building so that this would happen. He also wants to establish a people in mercy as a sign to the world. You know, once we were not a people, now we are a people. Once we had not received mercy, now that we have received mercy. And you know, and we need mercy. I was really annoyed at somebody uh, last week when I was, uh, uh, I led a uh, worship and one of the songs that I led was the song, uh, Our Father is One. Uh, and you know that there's a lyric in there where we're drowning in mercy. You know, once guilty, but now we're drowning in mercy. And this guy came up to me afterwards and said, you know, I don't like the lyric, you know, we're drowning in mercy. I think I like the lyric that we're swimming in mercy better. And I said, immediately, I just retorted, and I said, well, actually, if you're swimming in mercy, that means you're in control. And it's true. We are a people who have received mercy. And you look at us, and we're a messed up bunch of people. I know I'm only talking about myself here. But we are. 
There's none of us that would be necessarily the brightest and the best and the most beautiful and, and you know, the superstars of the world. And he, but God has brought us together and given us mercy, and in mercy he makes a people, and we're assigned to the world of God's mercy. Because if God could have mercy on people like us, he can have mercy on anybody. And anybody can come to him. And so God is building this house to establish a people and mercy is assigned to the world. God is building us to show the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all through the church. God is building us together because we are supposed to demonstrate the fullness of Jesus. Now what does that mean? I haven't a clue. Although I know it's a lot more than what I've seen. And I'm going after it. I want to see the fullness of Jesus. Because I know when the fullness of Jesus comes, the sick are healed, the dead are raised, demons flee. And I know when the fullness of Jesus comes, we walk in freedom from our sin and so many other things. We are God's people. And we are a kingdom reality. We are the only hope for the world in Jesus Christ. And this is why God is building us as the church. This is what he is doing. He's building us as the church. And we need to look at how God is doing this. First and foremost, primarily, God is doing it on the cornerstone of Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. It's all about Jesus, the one who lived the sinless life, who died on the cross, who rose from the dead bodily, who ascended into heaven and is coming again. This Jesus, this Jesus is our cornerstone. This Jesus is the anchor on which we're built. Everything rises or falls on Jesus. In the ancient days, if your cornerstone was out of whack, your whole building would collapse. But if your cornerstone was strong, even poor builders could build on a good cornerstone. But the best builders could not build on a weak cornerstone. But Jesus is our cornerstone. And God is building us as we come to him as we submit ourselves to him, as we are coming together, God is building us. As we surrender to God, God is building us. It requires us to be surrendered unto him. And he's using living stones. It's such a powerful metaphor because so many of us are so hard-headed. I'm including myself in here, okay? You can laugh a little bit at that. You know, but we're like living stones. He's using us as living stones in this spiritual house. So it's not a physical building. It's a living building that God is building on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. We're living stones. And God is doing this by the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to Paul. It takes a powerful God to bring all of this together. I don't understand how everything works. I certainly don't understand why God chose the church. A lot of times it doesn't make sense to me. It makes sense to me that God picked the society of the best and the brightest and showed them off to the world. But that's not what he chose to do. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose us. And I don't understand it but I'm thankful for it because we're all part of that. So who is God building? Who is God bringing together? Those who have faith in Jesus. It's all about our belief in Jesus Christ. 
If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not part of this building. I'm sorry. If you don't build your life on the cornerstone that, Jesus, that is Jesus, you're not really part of this building. And those he's building are those who accept the honor of being built up as God's house. How often do people think about church as an obligation? I know I do a lot of times. Come on, I'm honest. Some Sundays I just don't want to come. Some Sundays I wouldn't come if I didn't, unless I knew I had to preach. You know, if I could get out of it, if, if I could be not here and get away with it without anybody noticing, I'd be tempted to do that sometimes, but I don't. Because I'm, I'm drawn together in this. I come because I know that it is an honor to come and be part of what God's doing. It is an honor to experience all that God has. It is a great honor that God has made us. And God has made us as the people that he's building together as a church, a people who is a chosen, who are a chosen race. Do you know that we together have been chosen, have been elected by God for this purpose? You're here because God wants you to be here. We are here because God wants us to be here. God looked at you and he chose you. It wasn't just because he was stuck with you. We are a royal priesthood. We are kings. We are princes. We are princesses. And we're brought together in this priesthood I talked about. We're a holy nation. Do you know, we are a new ethnic reality. It's one of the reasons why I love the diversity that we have here at City Temple because we're not representing one ethnic reality. We're a whole bunch of ethnic realities together. And some of us are several ethnic realities in ourselves, right? And God is building all this together into a new ethnic reality. Christians are a new ethnic group. The church represents a new ethnos. The Greek word from which we get ethnic, nation, for the world. And we are a people for God's own possession. God's brought us, he's called you, he's called each of us for his own possession, for his own sake. So we can experience the goodness of who he is. Not only now, but for all eternity. This is what God is doing. And this means that the church of Jesus Christ is something amazingly unique and incredibly special. This is not just a club that we gather together in. This is not just a hospital that wants to get a few sick people healed. This is not just a society of people gathered together for the benefit of the world order. This is not just a bunch of volunteers who have come together to do some good works. What we are is something profoundly unique in this world, and God is building us together for His purposes to demonstrate His glory in and through us, and God is building this house not just so we can be blessed. You know, there's nothing wrong with us receiving a blessing. I'm not against that. There's nothing wrong with us enjoying church. I'm not against that. There's nothing wrong with us having fun together. But we must remember that that's not the end. That's just part of the journey that we're on. 
Our purpose together is to see God's kingdom come and God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our purpose together is to see the nations come to know that Jesus Christ is who he really said he is. Our purpose together is to declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. God is building us and who we are is unique and profound and irreplaceable and special. And if we ever forget that, then we're wandering towards selfishness and sin. So how do we join with God in building the church? And you know, we have a responsibility there. The scriptures tell us many times that we are to build the church. Not that we are the master builder. God is the master builder, but we join with him. So how do we do that? I'd like to suggest three things. They all start with C, so you can remember them. The first is we must cooperate with God's building project. We need to cooperate. This means you. You have to cooperate with what God is doing. That means sometimes you don't like where you're placed in the building as a living stone. You know, but we cooperate with it. There are times when if I could pick where I would be, I would pick a lot of different places, but London is a tough place to be. And sometimes it's not where I would pick to be, but it's where God chose to place me as a living stone and said, I'm putting you here at part of this part of my house. And I'm building you together, and my responsibility is to cooperate with what God is doing in me and through me as he builds us together. And that is the responsibility we all have. We submit to God, and we submit to what God is doing. We cooperate with the Lord. The second thing is we need to commit to God's building project. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, strive to excel in building up the church. We need to make a real commitment to this. We need to ask ourselves, how are we investing our resources, our time, our energy, and our money into building together for the glory of God in Jesus Christ? You know, sometimes people treat the church Treat gathering together as the body of Christ, and I don't want to ever confuse it with the organization. The organization is a vital part, just like clothes are a vital part of our body, but our clothes are not our body. But many times people treat the church as kind of their private playground or the thing that they can dip in or out of as they want to. Now sometimes people can even say, oh, I'm going to take a vacation from being the church. You know, none of the bricks that are in the wall of my house can take a vacation from being a brick in the wall of my house. You know, I am so thankful that the bricks, you know, don't take holidays. They don't do that. They can't do that. And we don't do that. We are always a part of what God is doing. We're a part of the body. We're a part of the bride. We're a part of the building. And God is placing us, and we never stop being those things no matter where we are. Now, it doesn't mean we can't take holidays. We do, but you get my point. We must commit ourselves to God's building project and invest ourselves, our resources, into this project. And third thing, we must connect with others who are being built along with you. We must willingly choose to connect ourselves with one another. And it's a choice we have to make 
time after time after time, day after day after day, because we are living stones. We are living stones. But we must willingly choose to connect. And there's a key thing about this. I've noticed if you take two stones and you try to put them together, they don't really generally fit perfectly, right? So what you have to do as a master mason, you kind of have to chip off the rough edges. And this is like the least fun part about being in the church. When we're in the church, the people around us chip off our rough edges. And God chips off our rough edges so that we fit together. And that's not always a pleasant process. And that's why a lot of people quit. That's why a lot of people leave the church. Because they get tired of the fact that they're being put together and there's chipping that has to do and it's not comfortable. I don't know anybody who likes to be chipped off and, and fit together with other people. But it's essential not only for the health of the building but also for our own well-being. And so we must, we must connect ourselves with one another even when we drive each other crazy, even when we annoy each other, uh, even when that person next to you, you kind of don't like them very much, just remember that God's put them there to help chip you and form you so that you fit in what he's doing. You know, I really do believe that we must enjoy being together. And it can be fun, and it can be great being in the church, and I love to see the sick healed, and I love to see Christians blessed, and I lo love to see Christians prosper, I really do believe in prosperity. I, I believe all of these things come to us as part of the body of Christ, as part of the building of God, as part of the bride of Christ. But that's not why we exist. That's not our primary purpose. And my prayer is, not only for us, but now for Christians, that I'm dealing with all around the world, is that we would have, and it's the same prayer that Paul prayed, that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in Jesus so that we might really know the hope to which we have been called, the riches we have in the saints. That means you guys, because we're all saints, right, in Christ? The riches we have in the saints, the greatness of God's power in us as the church. The world really needs to see the church, as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, as this extraordinary building that God is building together. The world needs to encounter Jesus in us and through us. We are the hope of the world as the church of Jesus Christ. Let us be built together for the glory of God in Jesus. Father God, I thank you and I praise you. And I thank you for the reality of who we are. And I pray, Father God, that you'd help us to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into that reality. Lord, help us not to have a shallow, weak ecclesiology, but bring us to a proper biblical understanding of who we are as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, as the building of God. Let us see why you have called us together and what you are doing in and through us so that we might rejoice as we partner with you
by your grace in this great building project for the sake of the world. And I pray, Lord God, that in this, the world would be blessed. In us, London would be blessed. And Jesus would be honored. Now, Father, I pray that you'd surround us as we come to this table. I pray that you'd bless this bread and this cup, that they would be for us truly the body and blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, broken and shed on the cross. Use them to strengthen our union with Jesus and with one another as you meet us here in this place. We love you, praise you, and worship you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.